Hello and welcome to the run-in recorded as is usual now from our lockdown locations and we're going to go through your suggestions for our fantasy relay team that you've been hard at work picking and we're also going to discuss some new developments in orienteering, European championships, things like that towards the end of the episode but first of all let's dive straight into our interview for this week as Ben Mitchell is here joining us on the line. Ben, how's, uh, how's lockdown life for you? Where are you at the moment? Thanks for having me. Um, I we be, we be spending lockdown in Mid Wales. We went home to I went went to Megan Carter Davis's childhood house <laughs> in the countryside. It's about ten miles inland, and we've been enjoying just exploring the hills around here the whole time. And that's about it. <laughs> Not yeah, much I've seen I've happened. seen a lot of good pics of uh, some great runs up on the hills through some forest. Looks pretty nice. Pretty nice location to be in. Yeah, it's really nice. There's just tons and tons of places to to run and it's yeah it's the ideal place to be if you're locked down (laughs) i'm very jealous well we wanted to get you on because you know great top athlete as well but you give a lot of lot you are involved in a lot of different ways with the sport do you want to kind of run us kind of introduce us to kind of some of the things you do that's not training and competing with orienteering i do a few things but i I don't do as much as much as some people (laughs) Um, I like to plan events. So last year for my club, Swansea Bay, I planned three or four events. Um, I'm also a qualified controller at grade C, but I've not had a chance to do any controlling yet. And I've been on the committee for the club for the last few years, acting as fixture fixture secretary. I'm about to change roles to become the mapping officer. Wow, that sounds like a lot of variety of different stuff. I want to talk to you a little bit about the mapping. So, how like how did you first get into doing mapping? Uh, so, Mark Saunders actually asked me back in 2012 to make a string course map for Croiso. <laughs> so that was the that was the first time I got started with mapping, and then uh, from there I decided to start making some sprint maps for my club because they didn't have any at the time. Mm. And yeah, it just went on from there. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. what's what's made you persevere with it? What do you like about it? Uh, <laughs> tough question. Um, <laughs> I like I like I like how I get to visit these places, and you almost turn a blank piece of paper into something that someone can understand about the whole area, and it's it's just quite a cool idea, I think. <laughs> yeah. So so say you know you've got a new area to map what's the process talk us a bit through the process that the stages that you have to do to get it from that blank piece of paper into a map um so you first of all you have to make a base map so this can be made up of different resources like os ordnance survey ordnance survey data and more recently you can get laser data for free from the government websites and with this you can almost generate 3d models of the terrain and yeah, so almost you got so much data, so much data available to you now that it's more a case of simplifying that down into something that's readable, something, yeah, some, something that someone can run fast with and mm. understand. <laughs> yeah, so then you've got your base map from all that information. Then you're it's about getting out into the area. Yep. So once you've got your base map, you can head out into the area, and then. Yeah, you almost got to just try and turn that all that data into into an orienteering map by pen and paper to start with, and then once you've done that, you can go back home and 
you copy up what you've done onto software such as OCAD to turn it into like a digital a digitized version of the of the paper. Have you ever just started completely from scratch in the old school way of um. full on blank sheet of paper? <laughs> let's just start drawing in the middle of the terrain. I have, but only only the school. Okay, so I'm not sure that counts. <laughs> Well, I'd say that still counts, but it just kind of blows my mind that people back in the 70s and 80s and 60s used to just do these things by hand and yeah. almost kind of pieces of art yeah, I know in, it's in their own way. Yeah. No, I think it's amazing. I, I think we're fortunate enough now that the data's got so good that that's not needed. needed but, yeah, it'd be interesting to try. <laughs> Would you have been a mapper 20 years ago? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> Would you have given it um, a crack? Possibly. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I'd have been good enough. I think I might have needed a bit more help to begin with if I was going to do that. Okay, so yeah. maybe easier think, to get into now. Yeah, I think there's a lot more information available online now that you can get started quite easily. But I guess then the challenge is making sense because there's so much data, you actually, you've got to kind of, I guess, smooth out your contour lines, make it into yeah. something that is that is recognisably a map and actually something that someone can make sense of when they're running around a course. Uh, yeah, so the tough job is trying to make it um, readable or understandable. So you can have all this data that's really accurate, but it's no good if it's you know difficult to read or it doesn't, it doesn't show off the sort of prominent features that you'd be looking for when you're running. So now you might... In a ba- with a base map, you might be, you'd be you will be generating contours that are, that are quite jagged, and they mm. don't yeah they don't show you what you expect what you can see on the ground. So you you've got the job of trying to change these you know into shapes that are more obvious, obvious or more clear. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's quite an interesting like balance between technological side and artistic side that you're trying to find a middle ground between the two. Yeah, and I think that takes quite a long time to to learn. I'm getting better with every map I do, but it's yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, how long does it take? I guess different maps vary a lot, but maybe go from one extreme to another. So I think well, the easiest maps are school maps, and they can be done well depending on the size of school. They can be done in a a day or two days. So really, really easy to do. They don't take much much effort because they don't have uh, you know, they're not technical. <laughs> mm. The shapes are all quite simple, and you get a lot most of that from the base base data. And then the next stage up from there is probably your average sprint map, and then OS data gives you most of the information you need down to a building level. Mm-hmm. But then, but then with sprint maps, it does take a fair bit of time to draw the maps because even though they seem quite simple there's a lot more objects on the on the file to draw so yeah mm-hmm. that can take a while so the drawing the drawing powers of sprint maps takes can be longer than it, the equivalent forest map and then you can go to areas that are open they're like open forest moorland and in these areas you've got use of aerial data which can be really helpful with pointing out things like marshes and boulders so a lot of that yeah, a lot of the skill involved with plotting those is taken away if you've got good aerial data. <laughs> and then, then you can go into forest areas, and then they can they can uh, differ quite quite a lot depending on 
where they are and how many features they've got. Mm. So somewhere like the Forest of Dean, which is quite quite vague, or you know, there's not that many features to bounce off. They can be done quite quickly compared to say really rocky areas somewhere like or or somewhere with really steep slopes like Warncliffe. That might take a long time. Yeah. Mm. Would you rather do like a vague area or a really detailed area? I think nowadays I'd much rather be challenged and yeah, I choose <laughs> I choose the tech, technical areas. <laughs> nice. So on that on that end, the the more difficult end of those maps. How long? How how many hours? How long are you talking for? for how long does it take to map those? <laughs> okay, so maybe a maybe a university can be done in a week, and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just been making a map this winter I made a map for the JK for next year's JK which was an open sand dune area and I spent a full I've done about two weeks worth of work to do that map and I haven't completely finished it um, before lockdown started Mm. and yeah if it was if it was forested it would take that much longer again I've got I've got quite a good good example actually I've um, Marcus Pinker's a really experienced mapper Yep. Ex international lived in Swansea for a while. Ran, ran for Ireland for God, years, yep. didn't he? Incredibly yep. good technically. Yeah. Yeah. So he made a World Cup. He's made loads of maps, and he's really experienced. But one of the maps he made was of, of an open area in Southern Ireland called Crohan, which was used for a World Cup in 1997. And he he told me the fact the the figures for how long it took him to map this area. <laughs> and it's just nuts. So he took he had to take 50 trips there. And he spent 273 hours surveying and 322 hours drawing. It's <laughs> like it's some perspective wow. on one of these That's monster a big areas. Shift. Yeah, so I haven't really done any areas that are anywhere near that scale in size yeah. or detail. Yeah. Goodness me. And I was going to say, that's for someone experiencing quite good. Just to add a bit of context here, Ben was yeah. giving me a bit of a hand getting into trying my hand at mapping over this winter. And it is very hard work if you're starting out and learning where everything goes and, and all the processes. So he is pretty fast at doing this. So it's, <laughs> I can't imagine how how painstaking that must have been for Marcus. <laughs> I think he loved North it. North of 500 hours. Well, yeah, this is the thing, he probably did. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, you, so you, you're, um, you, you mentioned JK 2021 and mm-hmm. you've been mapping for that. What can, what can you tell us about the terrain? Obviously not giving too much away. Yeah, well, yeah. we can, we can cover me. that. We can cover that offline, Ben. Don't worry. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, my the map, the area that I I'd, I'd spent mapping, has been cancelled. No. <laughs> so they've, they've lost. <laughs> they've lost. They've lost permission for it. Unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Man. Yeah. So. But it's all all sand dunes down in the southwest, right? Yeah, it was a really cool area. It was like just really fast, open, runnable dunes, and it had had all these man-made. Um, like bunkers in them that were used Ooh. for some kind of dynamite factory and it's That's almost cool. it's, yeah so it was almost like an artificial sand dune area wow yeah it was quite cool that sounds amazing it would have oh. been good <laughs> oh man well hopefully at some point in the future it can be used so get yeah. down there and have a call yeah that would be amazing yeah they've um, promised me it will be used for smaller events at least but <laughs> okay not, so yes. not fully wasted Mm-hmm. I can say that the the remaining days are going to be on Penhale, and Penhale's lovely, so I'm sure it'll be it'll be just as good. Absolutely. Do you have a favourite area that you've mapped? Uh, I think I actually think that one was probably my favourite so far. I still haven't done done that many, and I think 
this one was probably the trickiest. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you were involved in the um, UK Elite O League doing their mapping competition in kind of earlier on in lockdown, and um, I, I believe you were, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so was, um, yeah, tell me a bit about that. <laughs> so it was Duncan Bertelson's idea, I think. Uh, so it's just basically to see um, what kind of maps people, some people, could, people could come up with that they'd never mapped before. Well, they could. They were free to choose areas they thought might be good for an orienteering competition, and yeah, they had to send it to us to our, the panel of judges, which was me, Chris Smithard, and Graham Griswood, mm-hmm. and and we we voted on the best ones. <laughs> and you got some pretty good entries. Yeah, yeah, we did. There's quite a, quite a mix. Um, we even had one in we had one in Paris. Uh, nice. There's quite a lot of tricky council estates. Around the country, there was a nice town in Mid Wales. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess who did that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was Megan. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I guess, but I guess all that was kind of encouraging people who, if they've never done any mapping before, to kind of get started to 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 pick up that you know paper, get the base map, get all sorted. So. I guess uh-huh. what what tips do you have for other people if they're if they're just starting out? Do you have any like little hints or tips as to you know <laughs> what you really should be doing? Well, I think so. I think the important things would be to learn the specifications. That's really useful. So just yep. having a quick read through through those can give you a lot of like yeah. It's basically a rule book, so it's really useful to, to follow those, especially. Um, as most new mappers start off with sprint maps and following things like minimum widths is really important so that you can read the map once it's actually printed. <laughs> Apart from that, I think learning how to use OCAD in general, there's quite a lot of um, online resources for that now, especially if they even have a, like a YouTube channel which shows you how to, shows you how to use the program and generate all the, all the base maps like LiDAR base maps and how to Geo-reference the maps properly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's definitely there's definitely a lot out there now compared to in you know over the last couple of years. There's been a been a lot more than there used to be. Yeah. And would you would you say Ben that mapping has helped you as an orienteer individually? So you think it's helped your technique or or you in terms of racing? I th- I think it def- yeah it definitely has. <laughs> um, you definitely start to notice things a lot more. So you can pick up sort of different styles that mappers have, and if you can pick that up, then it's going to help you in the competition. Um, I've also found re- more recently, it's I'm not sure whether it's negatively affected me, but it's got to a point now where I'm just over-reading everything. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's good, you know, good up to a point, and now I think I need to like stop paying so much attention to how the map's been drawn while I'm racing. <laughs> well, th- and this is why I ask, because actually I remember a story about Marcus from WOC in 2011 uh-huh. that they'd done so much work on, you know, looking at past maps, and he was obviously such a good mapper that he got onto the real map. And this could be just, you know, um, a bit of an old wives' tale, but he got onto the real map in the race and then spent a lot of the race picking holes of what the mapper had done and thinking that he would have mapped stuff differently. Um, <laughs> so do you, I guess, do you find yourselves falling into those those traps at, at races sometimes? Yes, a little bit. I mean, I'm still learning myself as a, as a mapper and I haven't really done anything, any ex, you know, extreme areas. I haven't had that much of a challenge yet, but 
you still find yourself doing doing that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and apologies to Marcus if that wasn't true as well. I'm gonna know. Marcus, Marcus, <laughs> Marcus will swear by mapping being a really useful way of improving your orienteering. I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned just there about thinking about people's styles of mapping and your style of mapping. Um, mm-hmm. To people who who had never even thought about their, the possibility of there being different styles of mapping, can you explain kind of what you mean by having a personal style of, of how you would map an area? Yep, so some people will... It's mainly down to sim- simplification, I think. So some people mm. prefer the maps to be just really detailed and have you know every little bit of the terrain on it so that yeah <laughs> i think that can help if you're maybe running slightly slower and all your or that's your that suits your orienteering technique if you like to pick up everything whereas then if you're moving much faster or you're you're able to simplify then you can sort of if a map's been drawn that's really simplified you can you can ignore most of the features and really trust your own abilities to to do things like aiming off or having a picture of of an area of the attack point and just knowing that you're going to find that as opposed to getting distracted by everything between so you tend to find that newer mappers map a lot more i would say and then more experienced mappers are do more simplification yes that's what i think Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, I'm sure people have maybe seen in their areas, like if if it's been remapped by a different mapper, it the just the maps can look so so different, just depending on yeah. the the style that 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 individual has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like like I said earlier, the because you can get so much information from the base data now, it's just it's really hard to almost take away things that you know you know <laughs> the information that you have about an area. <laughs> and ignore it so that's that's a bit of a skill in itself yeah definitely so would you say you're more where do you where do you lie in that spectrum and do you want to be I think in I'm, a particular way with your mapping <laughs> so I'm I think I'm getting more yeah I'm, I'm, I'm definitely improving with each map I do and I'm yeah learning what things I need to leave off the map and yeah generally I think I'm my maps are getting getting a better quality so I want to move on now, maybe talk about some of the other things. Uh, has has mapping kind of then led you to doing more planning and controlling, things like that? Or did that was that from earlier? I think I've always done a lot of planning for my clubs and I I think mapping, if anything, has probably made me do less planning because you're not supposed <laughs> to plan on your own maps. <laughs> well yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so what what do you enjoy about, about planning or, or why has it been something you've wanted to get involved with? Uh, so my club, my Swansea Bear and Team Club, they put on quite a lot of local events every year. I think at least fifty. So there's there's a constant need for volunteers to put on events, and it's always been something that everyone's done at least once a year. And yeah, most recently, uh, the planning's been mainly sprint events because I think I have a little bit more experience than some of the members doing sprint events. So I've been able to to be to put my time in, into that um but in the, also i'd say that planning is useful for improving your interior because you can yeah if you can plan like long legs then you can have a better idea of what other planners might be thinking and then you can yeah i think it just improves improves your orienteering yeah yeah you can see think about the challenges that the planner will have set for you 
uh, I want to move on to uh, some of your your actual your comp- competitions you're competing and so I see so you've done a few World Cup races I think correct me if any of these are wrong or if there's any more Norway 2018 Switzerland and China in 2019 and also the World Unis in Finland 2018 um, so do you think would you say you there's a lot of these World Cups coming in the last couple of years. Have you? Do you would you say you've had a, a breakthrough in the last couple of years with, in getting getting part of these of these teams? Yeah, I think I just gradually improved since since maybe in the last five years, maybe since joining university. I think yeah, I think joining university was a good good way. Good, it was good for my orienteering because um, they offer really good. They offered a really good sports program and. It was just it was I had a lot of time to train and I also lived with someone who's even more keen than I was. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and it's Bristol was a good place to be based for travelling to lots of competitions around to in the south. Yeah. Of the kind of G B vests that you've earned, what have been some what have been the best trips, what have been some of your highlights from those so far? <laughs> if I had to pick a favourite one it would be the World Universities in Finland. That was that was a really good trip. It was um, yeah, just we had gorgeous weather. We stayed in really cool accommodation. It was a big sports center, um, some kind of like Olympic training center, and it had everyone was staying in the same place. And we had a huge lake, which was really warm, and it was just a really relaxed competition. It was great fun. I also also had some really good good runs there as well. So it was boiling hot. You wouldn't expect Finland to be so hot in the in the summer, but I think we were running in something like. 35 degrees or yeah it was just nuts and um I didn't do so well in the middle I just the heat got to me I think and made a, made a mistake at the end which was annoying and then I got I had a change of attitude for long and sort of was a lot more aggressive and I ran really well for the whole the whole duration and I think I finished just ahead of Johnny so I was top Brit that day which was really cool <laughs> it was about three seconds <laughs> But it was enough. <laughs> nice. Get that. And, um, get that. Uh, yeah. yeah. The relay was good. Also, I got to, to run first leg, which I absolutely love. And I yeah, had a really solid race and finished about a minute down. So it was great. Nice. Yeah. Always a fun week, World Unis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. I think it is one of the best internationals that you could do. I wish I could do it again. Oh, it's yeah, brilliant fun. Too. Yeah. I am kind of glad they brought in that cap, though of 25 years old because I did think it was a bit ridiculous that it went up to 28 um, I think if I was still eligible to compete now it would be a bit yeah a bit of a joke but yeah one of the best ones you can do I think yeah fully recommend going for that one so from those kind of World Cup races what what are the biggest things that you've taken away from those whether it's ex- you know experiences competing internationally what have you, learning from other athletes what, what, the, what are the main things you've taken away from it um, I think the main things I've taken away from it is just how fast all the the top guys are. It's just just crazy, and they're they're very um, sort of aggressive <laughs> in the, you know in the way they race. I think I need to yeah I think I need to get a bit more a bit more aggressive in my international races. Aggressive in what way? In terms of how they approach the forest, um, in terms of the lines they take or or how they approach yeah, you think, as a competitor out there like in the relays let's say I think all three they're just <laughs> elbows like out I think 
yeah taking aggressive lines I'm much more much more of a you know I, I take quite a while to decide on route choices which you know and I you know slow down quite a bit as well and I'll often take a route which is a lot safer and I think some of the guys oh, I don't know whether they're taking risks or they're just really really good at orienteering but they seem to just go straight all the time and they're 10 times faster so <laughs> it's tough it's a tough tough game what are your ambitions in orienteering are you ambitious are you kind of happy with where you are at the moment doing you know some world cup races do you want to take it further um for now i'm quite happy with the world cup races and i'd like to put in a good performance in those before thinking about doing well at anything further <laughs> um yeah i just like like orienteering abroad so more than happy yeah. to to try and you know i'd love to love to go to world champs at some point but for now world world cups is, is great for me so did you have kind of a plan for this year that's all now gone out the window <laughs> so i was i so looking ahead at the calendar i quite like the look of the italian world cup mm. and that was the one i was thinking i'd try and get into because yeah it just looks really really technical and that's my favourite kind of volunteering, even if I'm not amazing at it. It's just it's just great fun if you you know if you have to use two hands to navigate, then it's <laughs> that's my sort of volunteering. Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. So are you are you do you like from the comments there, do you kind of pick and choose which races you'd like to go to? I'd i I'd love to be able to pick and choose, but <laughs> I mean I mean you know what I mean, yeah, but yeah, like yeah, by yeah. um thinking which ones you want to put yourself up for selection. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not I'm not as keen with sprint orienteering as forest orienteering and yeah I'll choose I'm starting to think more about choosing the ones that look really good so do you have do you have any kind of bucket list places of where you'd love to go yeah actually I'd like to go to the Czech Republic I've not orienteered there yet so I'm looking forward to doing a doing the training camp there and the the um selection races Mm -hmm. I think that'll be good fun yeah, well, there's a world champs coming up there in the next year, yeah. so <laughs> mm, that does look amazing. That is proper two-hand map terrain, Ben. You'll be well suited. <laughs> well, we'll see. I think first of all, I've got to beat beat Grant Gresswood in the UK, especially at British uh-huh. Night Champs. <laughs> oh, okay. Are we laying down a, a that's, challenge that's for next aim. year? That's my main aim. Laying down some some targets for next year. I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. so, so target number one. Because obviously Gigi was our uh, our last interview, wasn't he, Catherine? So we're mm. following up with a challenge being put down. I wonder if maybe the next one's going to challenge Ben for next <laughs> year and call him out. <laughs> I've been so close for so many years. <laughs> so do, do you like? Do you particularly like Naito then? Um, I do. I do. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Um, it'd be nice to do more, but but yeah, <laughs> I, I just do as much as I can. What what do you like about it? Because a lot again, a lot of people in this country or a lot of clubs don't do very much training at night, and especially yeah. not in the same way at Scandinavia. And lots of people don't really travel to go to the British nights. Well, I think it just improves the quality of the area that you're having the race on. Really, it just tests you a lot more, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. It is worth saying that I I absolutely love holiday orienteering. I think. I mean, I think yeah, going to these really, really technical holiday orienteering events in the summer has helped me quite a lot with improving my, my orienteering skills. Yeah, so 
the last two years I've done the Aero Cup, which is a Slovenian-based um, event. Well, they're, the organisers are from Slovenia and they're starting to move around. So two years ago it was in France in this yeah, amazing techni- technical forest, mm. forested slopes near the, near the Alps, um, which were full of detail and it was just, just class, yeah. Wow. I think Ben's being modest here because him and Megan always do the ultimate class, which removes all of the paths and tracks off the map. So, yeah, oh, that's nice. That. <laughs> and so there's always a special dedicated class to that at, at um, OO Cup. And yeah. I think you have got pretty close to beating Baptiste Rollier on some of them, who uh, Brits yeah. might remember from the, the absolute pain train he put on the elite field at Scottish Six Day in 2013. <laughs> yeah, so I did beat him one day, actually, I think. Just one day Wait, out, yeah, out of five in France. But he's, he, yeah, he's retired now. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's still a monster. Yeah, yeah, it's great actually. It's it's really cool to do that event because it does attract a lot of ex pros. So yeah, mm. it's useful to to see how they run there as well. And I always feel like I'm peaking at the wrong time of year after I've been been to those competitions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you've you done Portugal O meeting as well. Yeah, so, so Portugal O meeting is for yeah any any of the sort of Mediterranean winter events are just a great great way of starting the season I think they're always really good quality you get quite a few world ranking events and everyone goes there so you can really test test how you're doing compared to everyone else early in the season and then yeah build from that yeah I find Portugal Home meeting I've been to just really well organised and then there were yeah some world ranking events at the end so I think the whole Swiss team were there and a few Swedes and maybe some French as well yeah, it's great, and um, the weather's always nice, and it's always you know it's good to have a break from the the British weather at that time of year. Mm. And and Portugal is just it's just a nice place to be at that time of year as well, without all the millions of tourists. It's great. Yeah, it, is, it is fantastic. <laughs> it is a bit annoying when the world ranking day is on day three, and you've flogged yourself in the multi day for yeah. the first two days and the night sprint as well, and you get to day three and you're knackered, and then the whole fresh Swiss team turns up. Like 20 yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, that's not so fun. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um, so how does the rest of your, kind of looking forwards now, like how does the rest of your summer pan out in terms of training-wise if you're thinking about when you might get might, might be able to get back racing? Of course, you can't really yeah. plan too much ahead especially mm. with all the restrictions, but mm. what might yeah. it look like? Um, well, for now, I'm just trying to run every day and... I'm fortunate that where we're staying at the moment there's, there's hills in all directions so it's quite easy to just get a good you know a good training get good training quality out of each run without having to try very hard if that makes sense yeah so um yeah I'm just going to stick with that for now and then when we get some confirmation about when there's going to be races then I'll think about putting some speed work in maybe yeah 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 that sounds sounds sensible. Uh, Will, is there um, any questions you want to ask at, the, at this point? Uh, no, just uh, can you can you map every area I need to train <laughs> for the rest of my life? Yeah, well, of course I pay you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's really. I mean, it's really insightful to to hear just how those kind of nuances have helped you in that different way that we. That I guess we don't really hear about from many people of of our age. Um, Um, because I I think a lot of us are guilty of not really 
not that we don't help clubs, but not helping to, uh, as much as we can and as much as Ben does. So it's really interesting to hear from someone who's who's adamant that that kind of um, involvement really uh, really has helped their own orienteering and helped them get to to World Cup racing. And um, yeah, just a refreshing refreshing way to hear about doing things. Yeah, thanks very much, Ben, for joining us. Best of luck with all the kind of any any mapping you can get out and do this summer and, and all the training and uh, yeah hope, hope things keep going well thanks thanks for having me it's really refreshing to hear someone who obviously competes at a very high level and personally for me if I'm on the start line and Ben's there I know that I've got to really race hard because he'll beat me otherwise and he's like a really tough competitor so the fact that he's that much of a a tough guy to beat but also the fact that he gives so much back to the sports at the same time and is very relaxed about his own results and mm. um not so much laissez-faire but as in you know quite stoic about oh, it's a good result it's a good result if it's bad you know there's other yeah. stuff and there's bigger things so it's a really nice refreshing relaxed attitude i think yeah and you can do both like you can fit in the training to be able to be really good and also have the time to you know fit fit other things in um you know in related to orienting as well it's really good anyway let's move on a bit some of the news that's been happening uh since the last podcast and i think literally like the day after we released the last episode they've confirmed that the european champs so that the sprint european champs have been confirmed for switzerland next year so may the 13th to the 16th uh so that obviously that'll be a sprint knockout sprint and sprint relay uh so this will be the first kind of major champs that have had only sprint races uh your reaction will happy yeah i mean it's great to uh to finally have something on the board for next year that you know is a a full-blooded championship especially after russia got pulled um Mm -hmm. i wasn't personally i mean i would have loved to go to russia but i was a bit confused about why they were hosting it anyway given their sporting ban but um Mm -hmm. yeah no fantastic that there's uh there's the swiss organizers have agreed to put the championships on um, I don't think it changes too much for the people who would have been maybe going to that World Cup anyway, because I imagine it probably would have been used as a selection race. So it's still going to be, you know, a really big, important uh, race. It's just a couple of extra things on. Um, and yeah, I, I guess maybe there's going to be a prioritisation of if there's a long distance, you know, do you then drop out? Because now it's a European champs for the sprint rather than just a World Cup. Um, yeah, so they've cancelled the long. So there was due to be a long distance at that World Cup, and there is no longer going to be. That oh, okay, long they've cancelled that one. Yeah, so they've just okay. replaced it. So there's, there's going to be the th- those three sprint disciplines and no long distance. Okay, well, makes things a lot easier. Yeah, no, and I'm personally really excited for the knockout sprint. I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be really hectic and really good fun. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. we saw that in the in the Swiss World Cup round last year. So yeah, I mean. They've been proved to to have great great competi- great sprint competitions. What mm-hmm. do you will make about have it about Switzerland having a World Cup round every single year? Um, good question. <laughs> Personally, I um, I, I think it. I, uh, I'm gonna have to. Be, I'm gonna have to watch what I say here. Maybe. Um, I think it does pander to the Swiss team a bit too much as the team that's probably got all the money in the sport. Um, if they're the ones who are funding it and putting it on as a federation, you know, that's 
that's where the money is and that's who's going to put it on that's fine um i do think it's i mean i would much prefer i think I've, I've, I've kind of had this idea for the last few years um and monetary issues probably come into it for a lot of people but i would prefer the kind of the world cup to spread around to a lot more places and maybe there'd be a couple more rounds of it so it's more of a world cup series so maybe say mm. Six rounds over the season, rather than what are, I think three rounds in the World Championships at the moment, yeah. and in a couple more places. So I'd love Britain to have a World Cup every other year or so. I'd love to go to France and race a World Cup. Um, you no, know, other countries like Slovakia, Czech Republic. I know. I know mm. these places have had them you know, off and on, but I, I think it would be brilliant to have more regular rounds of a World Cup in different locations like uh, we were chatting with Ben about our World Cup I don't see there being any reason why the organisers of that couldn't put a World Cup on at the start of the uh, World Cup week in Slovenia mm. and get around mm. there I, I, mm. I really would love to see it spread out to more places and the, I think the fact that it's always in pretty similar ones is a bit tiring and um, and yeah it doesn't I, I think it doesn't fill you with that initial excitement of I really want to go and race there and put in a performance in that location. Like, let's say China did, or mm. um, Hungary did a few years ago for me, mm-hmm. or Czech Republic, and those kind of things. You go, oh, it's a very privileged position to be in as well, going, oh, well, Switzerland again. <laughs> but yeah, I know there, there was a little bit of chat on our um, on our uh, squad WhatsApp group of, well, looks like we're going to Switzerland every year then, guys. Um, yeah, well, no, that that is that is the agreement. There is an agreement with the Swiss organisers that that Switzerland is going to. There is going to be a World Cup in Switzerland every year. Oh right. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a thing. That's they've, full they've, on. That yeah, they've actually partnered. As my, my understanding of it is, they've partnered with kind of the the Swiss organisers. I, I mean, I can see why they've done it because the Swiss have you know proved to organise great competitions and they've um you know very reliable in terms of their organization and big part of what the iof have been doing is almost like creating a, a brand and a, an equality standard for the whole of the world cup rounds and by partnering with them they know they've got a reliable you know there's going to be a reliable high quality uh world cup round every single year um mm. but yeah i can see does it <laughs> there is such a thing as a home advantage and if that there's a world cup in switzerland every year then the swiss are getting a home advantage every single year which Absolutely. does seem like a lot yeah and i think if if we put it in the context of scandinavia everyone always says oh the orienteers from scandinavia have a distinct advantage from home terrain and it's just as significant in switzerland as well so yeah that is a bit i, w- I wouldn't say frustrating i mean it doesn't you know, i'm not personally frustrated by it but it's it's just disappointing to see when you could just spread it out a bit more and make it a really exciting and marketable series mm. where you, I, I don't know well, I think take... it's I think it's easier said than done when actually it is quite difficult to get organizers to commit to doing a world cup I think mm. it's it's they have been struggling to find organizers for it and and Switzerland are willing we're willing to kind of commit to there so yeah, I get I get your points though. Well, I was thinking, just could you not turn in a race that everyone does go to already into a round of the World Cup? I know they're talking about it with Oringham, but if you say like there's one at Portugal meeting, like this is round one, it's the long distance mm. World Cup race, and just you don't need a full weekend of of four races to make it a World Cup 
race just add a couple here or there just to spread it out a bit maybe but I don't I don't know yeah I mean my experience of world cup rounds is that they do require a significant amount of extra work especially with the tv side of things I think that is a big part of it and the the branding and making it all uh, just look good to be honest and then the Mm. effort that goes that but yeah I totally can can see your point let's move on though we've got some new dates in the calendar junior world championship dates which will be held in Turkey of course has already been postponed our current dates for that October the 10th to the 16th and we've also got uh Tiamila dates of course that big relay in um in Sweden, 26th, 27th of September in Idrafjell. So they've moved the location as well, haven't they, Will? Yes. So it was just outside Stockholm, just to the north of um, Stockholm. I think it was about 20 minutes from the centre, maybe by driving mm-hmm. or 40 minutes. And yeah, up in the hills now. So isolated, they're keeping away from people. And um, that means quite a change, and the time of year means quite a change to the leg setup orders as well. So I think first leg is fully in the dark, as opposed to it would have been a dusk leg before. And mm. the only the last two legs are maybe in the daylight. I'd have to check that. But yeah, it's going to change team setup quite significantly. I think the time of year that they're going to help hold it at. So could be quite interesting, that one. Ah, oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, last bit of news is a little cheeky plug for me. Uh, I've been involved in making a video all about permanent orienteering courses kind of um, funded and supported by the Orienteering Foundation. So that's out on the Orienteering Foundation's YouTube. And we really want to encourage clubs to share that where they can, put it on their Facebook page, put it on the website, embed it in their website, um, share it. It's kind of aimed at newcomers and a little bit of a kind of how to get started. I think at the moment, obviously, there's no events going on. Permanent courses are something that we can enjoy or virtual courses or solo as I've been calling it in my club is a you know a thing that we that we can do so maybe good good timing for this so yeah clubs feel free you have the our permission to share it wherever you like on um embed it in your website things like that and then let's move on to Ralph's orienteering conundrum from last episode, which was our Tia Mila women's relay selection. So five legs, it had a budget of £20 and um, seeing who you could buy, who would you put on the different uh, legs on the on the relay. A lot of people had some money left over as well here when they were discussing their teams. Will, are there any you want to kind of pick out and um, want to look at? Or should we, should we start with your team? Who would you select? Okay, uh, again, let's, let's start with mine because mine are going to be the winners anyway. So we'll start <laughs> with the best. Um, so I came in under budget at uh, £18. So I've got a couple of, uh, a bit of money left over for some beers at the end. Shout out to Sarah Rollins for the uh, for the idea there. Um, so I've gone, first of all, first leg, Meg Carter-Davis. Mm-hmm. She's going to be leading me off. Um, I don't have a team name, by the way. I did miss out on that. I'm terrible at naming teams. Mm-hmm. Um, leg two, Holly Orr, nice and stable. She's going to, you know, hold on to that place that Meg's got in that first five teams after she came back in on first leg. And then leg three, I've gone a little bit rogue. I've gone off the, uh, off the list for... Um, Another British uh, British woman, uh, Lizzie Adams is going to be my third leg ungaffled runner. Uh, back in the day, Lizzie was one of the fastest female orienteers in Britain, kind of mid two thousand. So uh, now Lizzie Brown, I believe, lives in the Lakes, but she was mega fast. So she's mm-hmm. not getting dropped by anyone on leg three. 
bit of a dark horse there. But um, nice. yeah, so I'm coming back in the leading pack after the ungaffled leg. Joe Stevenson, loads of experience of Swedish roulets, runs her Italian house. I think she still lives out there. So she's going to be holding the team through to the last leg. Shout. Yeah. Yeah. And going to be taken over from. Uh, by Heaven Munro, who's going to bring us in for the win and out sprint everybody at the end. Very that's the team. nice. Very nice. Not many people have backed Joe Stevenson, so I think that's a really good, really, really good shout. Mm. I was, ple- I was quite. I'm, I, I would actually back I'm, that team to do pretty well in real life. Yeah, I'm. I'm feeling. I'm feeling now. Yeah, I'm, that's a very good shout. I really like that. Because Lizzie My, did go to a World Cup, I think, as well. Mm. So she was like decent. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. I've gone with, start off with Fiona Bunn because, I mean, I chat with her after the Jaywalk relay, just how well she kept her head in that race. Really clear idea of the job that she had to do. Um, Then, and I think I've got my order wrong here. Then I've gone Kat Taylor, who, you know, lots of experience in that Scandinavian terrain, um, used to kind of racing it, but can make some big mistakes so or not really sure maybe i've put them in the, in the wrong order i've i've backed sarah rollins for my ungaffled leg which she may not like me for that <laughs> <laughs> i've gone with and then i've gone holly or as well like yourself will yeah again lots of you know really solid running and then i've gone with um for Hague on the last leg so yeah i i've i've really liked looking at at people's um, selections, a lot have gone with like a couple of big hitters, Heather Monroe or um, Vet Haig, and then um, gone actually. You, the number of times you've seen Fiona Barn or Grace Malloy in there, and I think that's that's quite interesting choices. Obviously, they're very fresh in people's memories. I'm kind of, I mean, you mentioned to me before, Will, do you put Megan Keith in there? And I think the problem with the younger athletes is they've not. I'm I'm a bit worried about the inexperience there at that point. I think you really do need some experienced runners on your uh, on your team. Really, I think mm. when it comes to when it comes to Team Mila, that's, a, that's the, a, then the terrain and everything. A really good shout because interestingly, Pete Hodkinson went for Fiona Byrne and Grace Malloy leading him off on legs one and two. Mm. So down the line with with maybe the younger younger the. Um, team and then Meg Carter Davis on leg three but he said they were too much of a bargain not to not to pick on those legs so uh, yeah well yeah. I think I think I, if I put them anywhere I would put them towards the start the, the earlier legs I think which is why I started off with Fiona Bunn but um it's yeah it's it's you, you're playing that experience because really you know then Fiona's the senior first year senior this year Grace is still a junior there's a lot of more people who've got a lot more experience specifically in that in those types of terrains in Scandinavian terrain who may be a little bit more of a safe choice in my opinion mm. I don't think I don't think anyone's put them on a leg later than leg three mm. from what I can see so Charlotte Ward's gone Grace on leg three on the red line did, uh, had Fiona on leg one uh, Sarah Rollins had um, Grace leg two, Fiona leg three. Chris Jones had Grace on leg three. Eddie Nicholas had Fiona leg two, Grace leg three. <laughs> so it's, I mean, even uh, Megan uh, Carter Davis as well had um, had Fiona on first leg. So 
yeah, very popular choices. I think they're the most popular choices out there. Yeah, and then putting the big hitters on last leg as well in in the hope that you're going to kind of be be in in the running, in amongst those top teams and then absolutely nail it on the last leg and run away from everybody else, not make the mistakes, let everybody else drop behind. That's the idea. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of Monroe and Haig on those last two legs, mm. isn't there? Well, Just... did you see uh, the one that... So John Cross picked a team and because he's a selector, he's only looked at retired athletes. Um, so put Kim Baxter, Jenny James, now Peel... Uh, Heather Monroe, Claire Ward, and Yvette Haig. That's his five. So that's a pretty sharp team. Four foot walk as well back in the day. So mm. um, minus uh, minus Claire Ward. So I, I, that that team at Team Mila Dan Glum mm. would have done very well, I think, um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Surely that would have been up there in the top five, at least, if not competing for a podium place. Yeah, yeah, impressive. But yeah, it's good good to see the, the kind of the the leg selection and where people are putting people as well. Mm. I, I think a special special shout out to Murray Strain for making all of his uh runners um uh follow an alliteration pattern. They all began with M. Uh Oh okay. <laughs> Which I was very impressed by. Um very I was, nice. I'll just find the team name. It uh, it did tickle me. It was, I think Murray's Magnificent Mavericks, mm. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> yeah, it was. Murray's Magnificent Mavericks, uh, Megan Carter-Davis, Mari McKenzie on leg two. Very nice. Coming in from left field. Very good choice. Megan Keefe on leg three. Mm. And then Malloy and Munro. So there we go. Malloy on leg four. Very nice. Well, I think that was all about the uh, the alliteration there, I think. <laughs> really going sticking to a theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, maybe he trapped himself in... Uh, in a slight um, web there. He could have gone for himself. Uh, put, a, put a wig on. I reckon he could have got round. <laughs> you could have gone for himself. No, he couldn't. <laughs> that team would have been disqualified. True. I don't think he's getting, getting, getting away with that at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for all for your suggestions. Um, they, they made us laugh and interesting interesting point so thank you very much Ralph of course has set us a um, conundrum for the next couple of weeks and this is uh, another one on the lines where you've got to kind of merge two concepts together and you're looking for the name of an athlete let's have a listen use your imagination and combine a current GB squad member whose initials are something that Thomas Edison disliked with an area used for the Scottish six days within the last ten years. Okay, so we're looking like you're looking to combine the two things. So, like Cat Taylor and Taylor Swift becomes Cat Taylor Swift. That's the idea. So you've got to combine those two things. Um, yeah, could be interesting. Something that Thomas Edison didn't like. Yeah. We've gone very cryptic here, haven't we? Okay. Yeah, this is the yeah. I'm not gonna. I don't think we need to talk about it too much because I'm worried I'm going to give too much away if I start talking about any of that. But yeah, Scottish six days terrain in the last ten years as well. So get your maps back out, have a little look. Can you combine that with a name of a uh, GB athlete linked to 
Thomas Edison. <laughs> this is so niche. Good luck. Good luck, people. Answers as usual on the Twitter. We'll see what you come up with and we'll let you know the answer in a couple of weeks. Um, but actually, in a week's time, we're going to be having our the kind of first of our new a new thing for the running wheel. Do you want to explain? Yeah, so we thought that, um, and we've had a couple of requests for this as well, of, of branching out into an episode every, every week during lockdown. And um, just to, to keep people you know, tied over in the gap between the two podcasts, because... Yeah, because we you know, know you can't deal with us being every two weeks. Obviously not. You need to have us need, absolutely every week. Need that lives. fix. Yeah. Um, we are starting a mini feature on a weekly basis called Run-In Sprint. So a short... 10 to 15 minute interview with our main guest of that week's podcast. And we're just going to dive into some quick fire questions of, you know, what they really get out of orienteering, a bit about them and their personality involved with the sport. And uh, yeah, just a bit of a fun, small chat to help you get to know them better and to, to tie you over in a bit of a fun way to the, to the next episode. So it could be good, could be bad, but uh, yeah, I think it's a nice little thing to... <laughs> we're going to try it out, aren't we? We're going to try it out, and I think it's a nice thing to, yeah, to keep people, keep people going. Yeah. So watch out for that in your podcast feeds um, in the in in a week from now, basically, if you've downloaded this on the on the day it comes out. Which is, um, of course, they would have. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why? Why would you not? Anyway, well, thank you very much for listening to um, today's episode. That's all we've got for this one. We are going to, as we said, be back for uh, the run-in sprint in a week's time. Otherwise, back with another full episode in a couple of weeks' time. So, uh, until then, take care. See you then.